Be seated. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. We're slowly filling in. It's a good thing. Uh, I wanted to give you some information really quick before uh, I get started. Uh, I, I mentioned this last week that if you have a smartphone and if your smartphone has a reasonably capable owner, uh, <laughs> you can go uh, on your phone and get this app. If you, if you go to the App Store or to Google Play or whatever it is that you're using on your Android device, you can, can you go back one, Bunny? Uh, this is, well, I'll just show you. This is what you're searching for here. It's the Uversion Bible app. Okay, and so download that bad boy right there. If you already have it, open it up. And uh, this is what the first page looks like uh, on the Version Bible app. If you come down here to the bottom where it says more, click on more, and it will bring up this screen. And uh, what you want to do is go to events up there and click on events. And then next one. It will show you Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ. These are the ones from last week. This is the one for this week. You click on that, and everything that's happening this morning is right here on your app. So uh, it's something that you can use uh, this morning, although uh, everything that is on there will be on the screen. But where this is really the most useful is after Sunday morning. Uh, this will be up for an entire week, so all the notes, all the scriptures, everything is going to be will be available to you on this app. Now, if you do not have a smartphone, every week I will give you a, a web address to go to. And so this week, our web address of the day is bible.com slash events slash 487496. Now, what you can do with this is, if you don't have a smartphone or can't use it, when you go home, you can go to this particular web page and everything will be there. So you can look at it on your computer or whatever it is you're doing. Okay? Does that sort of make sense? Yeah. Yes? Uh, we will have these notes available to you this week, um, probably on the website. We'll put this up for you so that you can, if you didn't catch it right now, you can catch it later. <clears throat> All right, I want to ask you a question. I know that this question is really, really broad, but I want to ask it anyway. When you think in your mind about Jesus, what are some of the primary adjectives you would use to describe him? Just throw some stuff out here. Compassionate? Compassionate. Suffering. Suffering. Loving. Loving. Humble. Humble. Friend. Holy. Friend. Powerful. Powerful. What's that? God, okay. Those are all uh, really good adjectives. Um, but there is one adjective that I would guess you don't often think of when it comes to Jesus. And that is this one particular word. Dependent. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. Jesus is talking to his followers and he's sharing with them and he's He's trying to tell them about how the things that he uh, is doing are from God. All these things are coming from God. And listen to what he says. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. 
For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Now there are two words that should pop out in your head when you hear this scripture, these words of Jesus. Those two words are nothing and only. Nothing and only. There are a lot of words we can use to describe Jesus. And all the words that you said earlier, they are very true expressions of who Jesus is. When I look at Jesus and I think about him, it is hard to not see him as the resurrected Lord, the completion of God's plan for salvation for all of his people. And because of that, even the baby Jesus lying in the manger seems wiser than I do. But here in John, Jesus tells something that we may tend to overlook, and that is this. Everything you see Jesus do, everything you read about him doing, all of the teaching, all of the healing, he does not do anything by himself. He does nothing by himself. He does not do anything unless the Father tells him to do it. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. But one step beyond that, I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus is implying that he would not know what to do unless the Father told him what to do. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He is not some sort of self-contained entity. He is not connected to the Father, but doing his own Jesus-y kind of thing. He is directed by the Father, commanded by the Father. He does not make decisions for himself. God makes decisions for him, and Jesus follows what God tells him to do. Now, this should not surprise us. When, when Jesus left home and his adults to start his public ministry, what was the first thing that Jesus went out to do? Went to the wilderness, prayed and fasted for 40 days. Why did he go to fast and pray? He went to spend time with the Father, to speak to him, to wait on his voice and to listen to his instruction so that he could then go and do the work of the Father. It was there in the wilderness that Jesus was tempted by Satan. The Bible calls it temptation, which means that these were things that were actually appealing to Jesus. Sometimes we think that Jesus was just like, whatevs. But no, these were things that were actually appealing to Jesus. And keep this in mind, when Jesus uh, rebuts the devil on all of these different things that he offers him, how does Jesus do it? He uses scripture, which are the words of who? God. What does that tell us? 
that Jesus is listening to the Father. We see it near the end of the story when Jesus prayed in the garden. He prayed that if there was any other way for God to do this, that God would allow the alternative. But his prayer concluded with what? Not your, not my will, but yours be done. It was an exercise in putting what he wanted aside and doing what it was that God wanted him to do. The passage from John tells us something further. Jesus is not just taking direction from God one time. He's constantly taking direction from God. I do nothing without the Father showing it to me. I only do what the Father shows me. It's not a one-time thing, but an ongoing thing. Therefore, Jesus is always praying and waiting and listening and doing. Now, if Jesus the Son of God acknowledged that He was this dependent on the Father, then aren't we much more so? Hello. Uh, I want to reflect on something just really quickly as we get started here today. Uh, I shared with you probably three or four, three weeks ago, um, just when we are trying to do the work of God, you know, there are, there are two things that can happen along the way to let us know we're on the right track. One of them is affirmations. You know, something is working that we are, uh, that we've been planning or working on or praying about. You know, things come through. There's positivity. There's energy. Uh, and I hope that that is something that you are feeling as we have been going through uh, the direction and path that we want to go uh, as a church. But the second thing that we experience, as I told you, is attack. And I cannot help but feel like this morning so many of us are getting hit with something. And some of those things are giant some of those things are a car accident. Some of those things are a broken shoulder. Um, it's everywhere around us. And some people would say, I think, well, that's just life. And that's just what happens. I am not so sure. I am not so sure. I think that Satan wants us to be discouraged And I think when we build up momentum, he wants that momentum to stop. And I think he wants us to be tired and worn out and to say, I just need a break. In the middle of starting something new, I just need a break. And maybe we all feel that way this morning. I know certainly some of us do. So I want to take a moment to pray for us and... um, You know, we need to fight against the enemy who wants to keep us from following our God. So let's pray about that right now. Heavenly Father, we are a community where a lot of things are coming at us from all different sorts of directions.
God, there are people that we are deeply worried and concerned about. There are people who can't be with us here this morning because they can't leave their home. There are people who have suffered some sort of physical trauma. There's just, we are surrounded right now, God. It is easy in times like this to be discouraged and to give up, to just feel like we need a break, we need to step away. But Father, I believe that you are starting something here with us. So God, I don't know exactly what to pray for, but I do pray that with everything that is going on in the life of this church, that you would help us to hear your voice most clearly. That you would affirm in us, God, as we seek you. That you are with us. And God, as some of us face moments where we don't know if our faith will survive, I pray that you would be present in that place as well. Because Father, as we have said all along, you have deeper water for us to get into. And no matter where we are right now or what we are dealing with, God, you have deeper water for us. So God, may we find it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, tonight uh, we are going to have the first of several prayer meetings. Uh, We have talked to you about uh, praying together, about doing lots of things. So this is an opportunity tonight for us to come together and pray. It'll be from uh, 5 to 6 o'clock. Uh, And we would really love for anyone who can be here uh, to be here and to join with uh, the leadership and our families and everybody get together and to pray about what God is doing. Um, I'm still excited. I'm still excited about what we're doing. I'm still excited about the plans that I think God has given us. And we're going to review those things because that's what I do, is I review things with you at the beginning of a sermon every week. And, And everything starts with our vision statement. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. And this morning as I prayed that prayer, I mean, doesn't that seem like a wonderful alternative to some of the things that are going on in our lives? That the love of God in Jesus changes everything and we want to be the kind of church that is able to speak of that, uh, that kind of transformation. And we've identified the values that are going to help us carry that out. And the first value is belong. Jesus changes the way we experience community. We are a family that accepts accepts people as they are. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. The second value is grow. Belong, grow. Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Who are we? We are imperfect people, and every moment and everything we do, we need the love and grace of God that is found in Jesus. This this need defines us, but it does not discourage us. There is always something better in Jesus, and we want to continually grow into that something. Number three, give. Jesus changes the way we respond to others. 
Jesus saw people and loved them in a dynamic and passionate way. No matter who they were, no matter where they were, he responded to what he saw. We want our eyes to be open so that we can love people in the same way. And number four is go. Jesus changes our understanding of what others need. We believe that Jesus matters. He matters not only to those who believe in him, but also to those who do not. The world is lost without Jesus, and as those who know his life-changing love, we must go and tell others about it. Belong, grow, give, go. Jesus changes all of those things. So hopefully, if you have been with us over these past several weeks, if you've been uh, listening, I, I know we know everybody in this room here this morning. Uh, maybe you've listened to them online. You, you have been able to sort of come along uh, with me as we talk about how we want these things to be our guiding principles. In everything that we do, we want them to uphold these different values. But there's a question that I ask you to sort of sit on at the very beginning of this process, and I'm going to allow you to ask it now. Okay, so we have all this stuff, and it all sounds very pretty, and Jesus changes everything. So, what do we do now? It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it, because I wrote an entire sermon about that this morning. And so it really fits in well. Uh, it's great to have all these ideas, right? But the question that now starts to come in our mind is, how are we going to use this? How are we going to move forward with these ideas? Uh, and this is a question that we are going to answer in detail over the next two weeks. Um, but the leadership actually has landed on a methodology, we know exactly how we're going to do this. And believe it or not, if you've been paying attention, you also know how we're going to do this. There were two prayers that the leadership here asked you to start praying at the very beginning of this process. They were, number one, God, what do you want to change in me? And secondly, God, what do you want to change in us as a church? And the reason, of course, we asked you to pray those prayers is because our vision statement is, we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. And so if it changes everything, then we need to ask ourselves, how is Jesus changing us? How is he changing me? Are my eyes open to the things that God wants to transform in me? We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. Now, if you've been praying these prayers, they are difficult prayers. Because if I ask God to show me what he wants to change in me, he might actually show me what he wants to change in me. I mean, do I want him to do that? Yes, I do. No, I don't. It's hard, right? He may show us something. So we asked you to pray and to wait and to listen. But the thing about that is, is that this is actually how we are going to move forward as a church and apply our vision and values. We want to pray, wait, listen, and only then do. Pray, wait, listen, and only then do. Now, the leadership has been doing this together like 
I said for the past now 18, 19 months, however long it's been. And hopefully you have been doing this on your own, but now we are transitioning into a different phase of this thing, which is we are going to do this together. If you want to be up to your eyeballs in what this church is doing, then come and pray with us. If you want to be on board with how God changes this community, then come and pray with us. Come and pray together. This is our plan. (laughs) This is our plan. We are going to pray, wait, listen, and only then do. And I have to tell you, as I've been studying this recently and and I get really kind of excited and passionate about it, as I've been studying this, I have come to realize that this is actually the most biblical model for following God. So if you don't like something I say this morning, you're really just arguing with God. And that may not be my problem. I mean, that's a great way to say, (laughs) just deal with it, right? Suck it up. So let's take a look at this progression as an actual method for following God. Because here's the thing. I don't think we have viewed it as a method. We have viewed it as sort of, I pray for this or that. I wait and see, you know, God does blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But in terms of it being like a specific, this is how I'm going to get from point A to point B, our thinking may need to shift a little bit. But the Bible is very specific. You pray, you wait, you listen, and then you do. And if we haven't done those things, we're getting things out of order. Now, I am sure, you know, the, the, the first step is we must pray, okay? That's the first step. And I am sure this morning that I do not need to convince you about the importance of prayer. I think we all understand, at least to some degree or another, that prayer is important and it's something that God wants us to do. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul kind of lays it out this way. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, there's a few things I want us to note here, even though I know, you know all about prayer. Let me just tell you things you already know, okay? Because maybe this will reinforce something for you. First question, according, well, let's, we could get into a lot of this super deeply, so I know I'm skimming over some things here. But first question, why do we pray and why do we pray on all occasions? Okay, it's a good question. So first of all, as we talked about earlier, why did Jesus pray? I mean, Jesus prayed. He prayed for direction. Who was he listening to? The Father. And he could only do what? What the Father showed him or told him to do. And so if Jesus was going to know what to do, he had to speak with the Father. And then he had to listen to the Father. And then... Voila, he knew what to do. Okay? But why do we do it? 
I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of reasons why we pray. There, there are a lot of reasons why we pray. Sometimes we're praying uh, for specific things. But this morning, I want to focus on two primary reasons why we pray to God on all occasions, as Paul is describing here. And the first one is this. Prayer is a way of actively involving God in every facet of our lives. Okay? This is why Paul does not put a limit on what we should pray for. It's why he says, pray on all occasions for all things. Because by doing so, we take an important step. Okay? I think this instruction may not be as much for God as it is for you and me. We are inviting God to come into everything that we are doing. We are inviting God to give us insight into even the small things that we take for granted every day. We are asking God to inform decisions that we make, not necessarily where we're going to eat for dinner, okay? But maybe some deeper things that are just brewing in the back of our heads. Paul envisions a prayer life in which We are conversing and talking with God all the time about everything that is happening in our lives. We ask Him to bless, guide, heal, correct, give wisdom, whatever it is, but we are engaging Him. And listen, I know that God is always there. I know that He is working and moving, and I know He does things that we don't know about or don't always see. But I think it is clear throughout the Bible that God wants us to ask Him God wants us to ask Him because when we ask Him and when we engage Him, what are we essentially saying? You are God and I am not. When we argue and fight with God and we challenge Him and ask Him to come And B, at the bottom of that, there is even an expectation. You are God and you can do something about this. So please, do something about this. Secondly, like Jesus, first we pray that so God will be involved in every aspect of our life, but secondly, we pray so that we learn to follow God's will and not our own. I mean, listen, and I'm, this is just, so basically true. If we are only engaging God in the things that we want or need, we are not seeking after His will. Necessarily. It doesn't mean we're ignoring Him or we don't love Him, but basically we are going to Him when we want Him to fix something. And we should do that. But Paul says we should pray on all occasions. When you pray... On all occasions, for all different things, you are creating a pattern of behavior in your own life. A pattern of behavior that says, God, you are the one that I need to speak into all of these things. Not just this sickness or this person or this problem, but God, all things the good, the changes I need to make, the people I need to see. God, will you inform every part of who I am? Praying constantly 
says we don't want to chart our own path, we want God to chart our path. Now, next thing from the passage that I want to point out. We are to always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Uh, We pray for each other. We pray for the community. And I, I want you to know that Paul expected that a primary responsibility of the people of God was to pray for the people of God. That they would be lifting one another up in prayer. That they would be lifting the community up in prayer. That they would be praying about the spread of the kingdom here on earth. Now, there were a lot of reasons why Paul specifically wrote for that. I mean, at the time, he was in jail. And communities were being persecuted all over the place. There was a lot going on. But more than that, I think Paul believed that prayer was a formative part, a a basic part of being in the kingdom and community of God. So understand this, okay? There is virtually nothing better we can do than to pray for one another and to pray for the community and to pray as a community. I mean, that is the fundamental starting block of what we do. We go to God. And then one last thing, just really quickly. Paul, the apostle, God appeared to him, sent him out. He's been preaching and doing all sorts of things. He's been preaching the gospel boldly, but look at what he says to them in that passage. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He is asking this little group of Christians to pray for him so that he'll know what to say. Paul said this. Paul, doesn't he know what to say? But what does he want? He wants to always say what God wants him to say. And so he asks the community, will you pray for me so that I will know what to say and that I won't be afraid to say it? Think about that for a second. There's a little flashback to last week's sermon, at least for me, when we talked about going. Pray that I would know what to say and that I would have the courage to say it. If Paul believed the prayers of the community were needed to help him speak the gospel to others, then we had better believe that the prayers of the community are of essential importance to anything we do. To anything. If a professional gospel speaker asks for help in speaking the gospel, then perhaps we should pray about what God wants us to do as well. But I also want to say this. There is an element of genuine desperation to some of these things. There is an urgency that is involved in some of this asking. And you see it in so many different biblical examples. 
And here's what I want to say. When we engage God and we're talking to him and we're asking him, God, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to change in our church? God, where should I go? What should I do? How should I love more? All these different things, we need to want it when we ask it. Psalm 38 says this. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me, even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Now this is a prayer. And what is it a prayer for? Deliverance from enemies. That's what it's a prayer for. But how would you categorize or characterize the attitude of this particular prayer? Oh, it's desperate. It's desperate. There is nothing I can do. Okay, so we, we already have some familiarity with that. Okay, So maybe I've reinforced something that you know about prayer, but it is the starting point. But now there is something that we need to evaluate about ourselves when we pray. What are, what are our general expectations in terms of how God answers our prayers? Because we do have expectations, right? When we pray that God will do something. And I think the most simple answer is that we pray, when we pray to God, we expect Him to answer us. Okay? Yes? When we pray to God, we expect him to answer us. We're good so far. We're on the right track. Um, And then, what could those answers be? We know this, because you've probably talked about this in church before. The answers that we usually talk about are uh, yes, no, maybe, not now, later, never. But we also know that sometimes our prayers are met with something we are much less comfortable with, which is silence. At least this is how we have answered the question about what should happen when we pray. And I think the reason why we answer the question that way is that this is how we understand what God is doing. It puts it in terms that we're familiar with. Because these are the options we would use to answer this question. Whatever it is. Yes, no, maybe, later, never, I don't know. We'll see. All those things that I say to my children on a daily basis. But here is the real problem. We want to know, we formulate in our head what the potential answers are, and then we want the answer. When? Now. We want it now. God fix this now. God correct this now. God defeat my enemies now. And what we're interpreting is silence, which God is sometimes quiet with us. We determine that it's not really an answer because it's not happening fast enough. So either God's not there, or there's something else going on, I don't know what it is, and we wrestle and struggle with that, right? Or maybe we've continued to lift a prayer up to God, and we don't have an answer yet. 
and we get frustrated because we want God to be a God of action and to act on our behalf, right? I mean, that's why we have prayed most often in the first place. But then we wait. And then the situation gets worse. And we're praying again. And God isn't fixing it in the way that we want him to fix it. That's two weeks in a row. If your phones are on right now, please silence them. Silence them at this time. Do you, do you feel what I'm talking about? Now, we come about this naturally because what did Jesus say after all in Matthew chapter 7? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, when I was mentally and emotionally sick as I could be, I wouldn't have been able to find God if he had neon signs with giant arrows pointing to him. Guess what scripture someone read to me? This one. And oh, it, it was immensely helpful. <laughs> and I said to the, I, this person was wanting to help. And I said to this person, don't you think I've asked and knocked? And guess what? I still don't want to live anymore. That made this person uncomfortable. Um, but it made them uncomfortable for a different reason than how I was feeling. It made them uncomfortable because if I say to them, I asked and I did not hear, then it throws into question everything they have understood about prayer in their lives before. It's a great verse, but it's a dangerous verse. And here's the thing that I think we do, at least I know that I have done this, either I already have a plan in mind if I'm asking God to bless something, and and so I move forward with that plan, I pray that God will bless it, and then hope that he does or at very least correct, corrects my mistakes. Or I get tired of waiting, and I grasp onto the first answer that seems like the most obvious thing. You probably can't identify with this. Now, listen, God does work this way sometimes, and God is certainly able to do much more through our own efforts than we are capable of doing on our own. But if we are going to follow the biblical model there is something really important that we have to do after and while we are praying. And that is this. We have to wait. Waiting is not an option. It is not an option that you can choose or not choose. Waiting is absolutely necessary. What if God is not behind the door immediately? What if the answer he wants to give is one that you are not ready for? What if seeking doesn't mean you look behind one object, but you have to turn the entire house upside down? We have interpreted ask, seek, and knock as a shortcut, and it isn't a shortcut. And we misunderstand when we judge God based on this criteria for how quickly he should act. We want God to do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But who is God? He is, and we're not. 
But when we treat him like this, we're acting like we are. Listen to this passage again. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light is gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord... I will wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. That's convicting to me, you see. That's convicting to me. Because this person who is in the middle of such an awful and powerless situation, this writer comes to the conclusion, I need to wait for you and you will answer i had no idea i was born in a church practically i have gone to church since it was okay for me to go anywhere and i've been in ministry for 22 years and i have i had no idea how crucial the act of waiting is to helping us determine the direction of god it is 100% necessary. And as I've been practicing this over the last year, I am more and more convinced that it is the waiting on God that makes the biggest difference in whether we are following him or not in the way he wants us to go. It is the waiting that helps determine that. So here is, there are some things you need to know about waiting. From a biblical perspective, waiting on God is literally everywhere in the Bible. It's everywhere. You ready? We're going to do a quick survey here. Noah waited for rain, then waited for the rain to stop, then waited for land. Abraham had to wait to know where God was taking him, as well as waiting until he was 100 to have the promise of the son that he was given some 50 years ago or 30 years ago. Jacob, he actually received the blessing of Isaac early on in the story, but it takes a lifetime of hard lessons for him to grasp onto the promises of God. Joseph had to go through slavery and accusation of rape, prison, and being forgotten in prison before he actually saw the fulfillment of the dreams that he had when he was like 14. You with me so far? Moses had to wander through the desert with the people as they were trying to get to the promised land. And then there was 40 more years of wandering until the people were able to go back to the promised land. And by the way, Joshua was waiting that whole time to take the people into the promised land. David was anointed king and then had to serve the king and then had to run for his life, create his own army, fight several battles, face exile from his own people before he would even have the opportunity or take the opportunity to become the king that he was promised so many years ago. We're not even going to talk about the prophets because they waited for everything. Um, The whole earth was waiting for the coming Messiah. And when Jesus was born and he was taken to the temple, he gets there and guess what? There's two people there. And what have they been doing? Waiting. 
God said they would see the Messiah before they died and they were there waiting for him. Jesus waited 30 years to start his public ministry. The apostles and followers of Jesus waited for the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended into heaven. Saul waited blind for three days before he regained his sight and became Paul. The whole of the New Testament is about waiting for the return of Jesus. Waiting is everywhere. It is everywhere. Because everyone waits on God. Everyone waits on God. Doesn't matter who you are. Everyone waits on God. So, what is the purpose then of the waiting? What is it supposed to do? Why doesn't God just give us an immediate answer? There is one conclusive answer that I can tell you about what I think waiting is about. When we wait, when the people of God wait on him, they receive guidance from him every time without fail. The waiting leads to direction. When we don't wait, what is the biggest danger? That we take control of the situation. But the very act of waiting is an act of submission to God. I will wait for you to speak into this. And then you actually have to wait. There are so many examples I could give you of waiting for God, but this one passage really sums it up so well. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I love this passage because it recognizes so many things. Who is the one that can save? God. Can this, can this person do it? No. It is God who saves. And therefore, if they need saving, they have one option. To wait on God. But this isn't a bad thing. Because what does the writer understand? That salvation will come. Because of who God is. But the writer must wait for him. Here's the thing about waiting. When we wait, we are showing that we have confidence that God will answer us. We're not rushing him. We're not going to the first conclusion. We're not grasping on to the next possible thing. We are saying, God, you are good and we know you will answer When we wait, we honor God by quieting our own voice and our own desires. Man, how hard is it to put aside what you want for what God wants? Let me tell you something. That is a personal discipline. That is something that we ourselves have to work on. It's not something that God can create in us. We have to desire to put our own things aside so that we can find his way. And the act of waiting quiets our voice. When we wait, and this is really cool, when we wait, 
We open ourselves up to a world of opportunities, things that we, in our rush to find answers, would have never thought of or, over, or would have overlooked. Think about that for a second. We're asking God for something. We have a solution in mind. We jump to that solution. What have we just done? We have not allowed God to give us a better solution to whatever the problem or the issue is. Waiting gives him the opportunity to tell us something that we either never would have thought of or that we might have even overlooked. And it's not necessarily moving mountains. It might be just moving a book. God is capable of both of those things. Number four, when we wait, we find God's direction more clearly. I say that because, again, it's the act of waiting where we put ourselves aside and where we are allowing God to speak into us. Everybody waits on God. Everyone who wants to hear his voice in their lives calls out to him and then waits for him to answer. And everyone who waits on God hears an answer from him and, and this is important, okay, and they know it's him. They know it's him that is speaking to them in whatever way it is. How do we know that this is true? Isaiah 64.4 says this, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Okay, so we're going to pray, we're going to wait. Then we have to do the hard part. Well, waiting is pretty much the hard part. But we have to listen. There's a question that might be coming to your head, which is this. Um, how do we actually hear God's voice? I mean, what does that look like? So I want to just be completely honest with you up front. There is no formula for hearing the voice of God. All right? So... I cannot tell you how God will speak to you. Sometimes God speaks directly to people. Sometimes he speaks through his words. Sometimes he speaks through other people. Sometimes he sets things up so that you find your way to where he wants you to go without you knowing that's where you were going. Sometimes he waits for us to be in the right place in our lives. Sometimes he drags us along kicking and screaming. We are not promised that God will speak to us in a certain way, but we are promised that he will speak. And in order to hear him, however he is going to speak to us, what must we do? We must listen. If we have prayed and we're waiting on him, we have to listen. Because we do expect him to answer. And that expectation is exactly right. God has promised to answer us. And because we know he will answer, we will wait and listen expectantly for him to do so. From Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. Now keep in mind, what is the writer doing? They're, still, they're in trouble. Is this trouble new? Nope. They've been in trouble. And what are they doing every day? 
They are lifting their troubles before God. And then what are they doing the rest of the day? Waiting for God, listening for Him to answer. God will answer. But you need to be listening for Him. You need to be paying attention to what's going on. The only thing left for us to do after we pray and wait and listen is then to do. Do what God has put on our hearts. Once we hear what he says, we do. We step out in faith into that space that God is leading us into. Believing that whatever God has put on our hearts, he will give us everything we need to do. The time for waiting may be over. But the time for engaging God is not. Because as you move forward into what God is having you do, who do you need to keep in touch with? God. So that you keep doing what he wants you to do. And so that you understand how he wants you to do it. What is the biblical model for finding the way of God? You pray, you wait, you listen, and then you do. Church, that is how we are going to move forward. And I, to some embarrassment, have to say that I have never been a part of a church that has done this together in this way. And here's why I want you to be a little bit excited about this. Okay? You should be. You should be a little bit excited about this. You too, Georgia. A little bit excited. Not a lot excited. Like, keep it, keep it down. I don't. We should be excited about this for this reason. What opportunities are ahead of us? All of them. <laughs> All of them. What could God do with us? Anything. Where might God send us? Anywhere. And in all of these cases, who will be with us giving us what we need? God. Because what have we done? We have prayed and waited and listened and then we are ready to do. That is exciting. That is exciting. That our church, that us as individuals, we will be transformed. We will be changed by the love of God in Jesus because we have taken the time to allow him to speak to us. And then we follow boldly where he tells us to go because he is our God and we are following him. That is what we want, yes. Well, the good news is we know how to do it. And the even greater news is we get to discover what it's going to be. And that church is a blessing. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you engage us in the ways we've been talking about this morning. We're grateful that when we pray to you, you hear us. God, we're grateful that when we ask, you do give us an answer. For you said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. But God, I pray that you will give us the personal discipline, the strength, the confidence in you to know that we need to wait on you to answer. 
to open the door for us to find. God, we want to be a people that are not formed by our own ideas, but are following you in everything that we do. So God, give us the energy and the passion and the excitement that we need to be those who will pray and wait and listen and do and will do it with great joy and love in their hearts. For we are following our God, the Savior of this world, who has cleansed us from all of our sin and who gives us life everlasting with Him, that the things of this world would not hold us down, that we would never be kept from Him, that there is nothing that can stand between us and His love, and that with Him on our side, all walls will fall. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need any prayers or encouragement this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand singing this song together.